0: Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Good morning, glad you're here. I just want to tell you a quick story. Uh, Brittany and I, my wife Brittany and I, we've known each other for about six and a half years. All right, six and a half years. Uh, And when I met her, I couldn't get over her. Like I just couldn't shake it. Even when I was like trying not to really think about her, she just stuck, she stayed around. From day one, I was on some like, I'm sprung. Dog, she got me. T-Pain type stuff. Uh, And then, you know, Because I was committed, because I decided to commit, Uh, five months later, I asked her out. Asked her if we could go on a date, and she said no. The plot thickens, right? She said no. And so what did I do? Well, I was committed, so I stayed around. About a month and a half later, we went on our first date. And then four months after that, I put a ring on her finger. And then four months later, we were married. So if you're... If you're wondering if I was committed, you could just check the timeline. And if you're wondering who's to blame for that really, you know, hyperspeed timeline, it's our pastor, Pastor Jerry. You can blame him because he was always in my ear telling me men don't play with their food, they eat it. So I was like, well, I'm committed, so I'm going to just scarf this down. I ain't even going to taste it. Like, I'm going to just put this food away. And so I was, you know, trying to sprint to the altar to pledge my undying devotion to Brit for the rest of our lives. But y'all know what comes after a wedding, right? A honeymoon phase, a honeymoon phase. Have you heard about this? Have y'all ever been around honeymooners before, ever, ever been around some newlyweds? They're disgusting, all right? They're gross. No offense to anybody who's a newlywed now, but we've all been there. It's gross. Like you're around them and they just can't keep their kindness to themselves, you know, like it's still like you hang up. No, you hang up. And it's like, yo, y'all aren't even on the phone. What's happening right now? Uh, but then six or 12 months later, something changes. They can't keep their criticism to themselves. They're at each other's throats. And you know, early on, you're still in this honeymoon phase. And so you you feel like uh, it's hard, but it's still easy to believe that you said you meant and you plan to keep your vows to one another. But when honeymooners start to wane... Uh, those promises to love and to cherish, to serve and to seek the flourishing of your spouse, they get a little bit harder to put into practice. My actions prior to us being married proved that I was committed, but uh, as we were married and things got a little bit choppier, I had to choose to continue actively committing to Brit. You see, work and school were mad stressful for me. I was having a really hard time and then our bad habits started to resurface after we'd suppressed them during the honeymoon phase. Uh, And then we had to choose. Would, uh, Would we take this devotion that we have and develop some disciplines to sustain us or would we passively put our marriage to death? Would our commitment to one another, catch some customs that would continue cultivating this marital bliss that we were experiencing, or would we succumb to the common occurrence of killing our love through negligence and passivity? See, I think some of us have gone from honeymooning to homicide. And I know that's kind of a morbid term and it's a little bit heavy, but that's the urgency of the situation that many of us are in Much like my marriage being at a crossroads between actively cultivating our commitment to each other or passively killing it through negligence, you find yourself in a similar spot. Now, this is true of, of, of anything, right? It could be marriage or relationship. It could be a job. It could be a New Year's resolution or a health journey that you're on. But today, I want to talk specifically about commitment to community, commitment to community. The honeymoon phase is wearing off. The connection that you had before or at the very start of the pandemic has plummeted or is plummeting. Maybe you checked out or you just decided to coast. The only problem with that is that there's no such thing as cruise control and community. And devotion is expressed through and anchored by disciplines. Devotion is expressed through and anchored by disciplines. You like my little choreography? Everybody all together, expressed through, anchored by, now I'm just playing. And devotion isn't a feeling. It's dedication, it's commitment, it's drive in action. And when it's disconnected from disciplines, it dies. And those relationships grow distant. See, being family isn't a feeling. It's active participation. It requires devotion. And so this morning, I wanna answer a question, a simple question, it's this. How do I cultivate rather than kill my devotion to community? How do I cultivate rather than kill my devotion to community? We're gonna find our answer in Acts 2, Verses 42 through 47, it's the very end of the chapter, so you can turn there. Acts 2, starting in verse 42, as we conclude our series, the beginning of the church, what we're gonna find is that Luke is giving us a glimpse into what was going on amongst the very first Christians. But it's not enough to say that this is just history. No, God and Luke had an intent for the audience then and every audience since including us. There is theological truth here in this passage that's intended for us to discern and then to display to the world around us. If you want kind of three moves that I'm gonna, if you wanna know my three moves through the sermon, here's kind of how I'm gonna do this. We're gonna look at their devotion and their disciplines. We're gonna look at some issues that we're facing currently. And then we'll look at how to put this text into practice. All right, so the first thing is this. Devoted disciples practice communal disciplines. Devoted disciples practice communal disciplines. This is my theological proposition, all right? It's what I'm suggesting that this passage teaches us about God and his desire for his people. Devoted disciples practice communal disciplines, all right? You should be able to regurgitate, regurgitate that by the time I'm done. But let's read the text and see where it comes from. Acts two forty-two. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The first thing I wanna point out are the devoted disciples. In order to understand this, we need to first ask the question, who's this passage talking about? Well, we gotta look back at verse 41. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. If you remember Michael's sermon from last week, uh, Peter's just proclaimed, and this was the response. But if you listen, did you notice what wasn't mentioned here in verse 41? It's the promise of the Spirit. The same Spirit that empowered the preaching in different languages two weeks ago, as Pastor Jerry was preaching, and the same spirit that empowered Peter's preaching last week that Michael's sermon discussed, that's the same spirit that's empowering these believers to do what we find in this text today. God had set them apart for his own purposes and they were empowered by the spirit to accomplish them. And if each and all of us are filled with and empowered by the same spirit, what should be expected of us? We'll get there. But first we have to ask the question, what was the spirit producing in these new disciples? Well, verse 42 tells us, it says, and they devoted themselves. Four simple words, probably doesn't seem that impactful to you right now, but I wanna unpack it in the hopes that it might be helpful because this is the passage's secret sauce. Like this is the point right here. These new disciples filled with and empowered by the spirit were devoting themselves. See, the Greek uses uh, two verbal terms to communicate one verbal idea. We've been doing this in English. Did you catch that? We've been doing this in English. It's the same thing. It's a verb of being, like is or are, and a participle. And, you know, it's, it's called a periphrastic. It's a really fancy term for a roundabout way of communicating one verbal idea. And this is in the past tense, okay? So, so hear me on this. It conveys the ongoing nature of the events that were happening. And all throughout the passage, the verbs are in the same tense. It's looking at the past like a video, not an image, all right? And the Well, I'll spare you. You don't need to know all that grammar stuff. I'll just spare you on that. And you can just know this, that when we get to the specifics of what's happening, just know that all of these events, all of these activities, they're done in a continuous, consistent manner. These new disciples were committed to these practices. That's what this term devoted means here in the passage, to hold fast to, to persist in, to continue in, to persevere in something. One commentator wrote this. The verb translated devoted connotes a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. These Christians were persisting in their practices. The Spirit empowered them to follow through, to commit themselves to these habits that would both sustain their devotion and shape them over time. I wanted to camp out here to try to tease this out as much as possible rather than just like launching into the actual stuff that they were doing. Because if we at Disciple City Church just adopt their activities, right? If we just do what they're doing, we might miss out on what God's really actually wanting to do in us. What he wants to produce in each and all of us together. Because they weren't just doing the right things. They had the right heart. They had the right disposition, the proper posture, the appropriate attitude. One pastor contested, it wasn't just what the church in Jerusalem did that Luke is trying to convey here. It was how and why they did these things. So this morning I need to ask you, are you a devoted disciple? Are you persisting and persevering? Do you have a steadfast and single-minded fidelity? If not, God wants to use this passage to both challenge and change you. If so, God wants to use this passage to help you continue cultivating your devotion. And you might be wondering how you can know kind of where you stand based on those two questions. Well, devotion is both expressed through and anchored by disciplines. How did these disciples express their devotion? It was in their communal disciplines. Also, if you ever hear, which you won't, but if you ever hear Theo in the back, uh uh uhing he's just amening, okay? And I want my wife to know he ain't bothering me. We're just back to our old stuff, am I right? We got a baby in the house, so let's keep going. Communal disciplines, look, devoted disciples practice communal disciplines. What were they? Well, there are four disciplines laid out in verse 42, and then the rest of the passage kind of explains those more in depth. So let's look at verse 42 again. Luke wrote, and they devoted themselves, or remember, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In his, uh, in his tome on Greek grammar, my Greek prof, Dr. Wallace, identified this as a certain category, uh, well-known or uh, customary of the community. Notice the article in there, the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. Readers of Acts would know exactly what Luke is doing, what he's describing. It's common occurrences of early Christian churches. And did you notice in the text how often this was happening? Verse 46 says, day by day, and it's actually emphatically placed at the beginning of, Of the sentence. And then Luke used the same term in the very same verse, in the very next verse, excuse me, reflecting his desire to stress the ongoing nature of these activities. Like I said, it's not just what they're doing, it's how they're doing it, it's what's fueling them. And what I wanna do is look at those practices one at a time so that we can better assess how to put those into play, all right? The first is this the apostles' teaching, all right? The apostles' teaching. The first aspect of this is their actual message, like what they were teaching. It would have included telling of Jesus' ministry, telling of his death and his resurrection, along with what he taught them, what the Spirit was revealing to them along the way, and I'm sure of it, some instruction from the Old Testament, potentially with some fresh interpretation now that Jesus has come and all that that entails. And this wasn't just their teaching at that point in time. No, it became the teaching of the church. They gave us the apostolic tradition, orthodox doctrine to be passed down through the ages. They gave us proper theology, if you will. So we don't have to guess how to interpret the Bible. We just take (laughs) what the apostles gave us. Listen to this. Ephesians two nineteen and 20 says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 1 Thessalonians two thirteen says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you believers. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul said, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And later on in that letter, he said, now we command you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any sibling who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. This last one might sound a little bit more familiar. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you and... Behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. See, the second aspect of this is their miracles, what God was doing to publicly endorse their message. Think of it almost like one of those political ads, like I am Jesus and I approve this message. Luke wrote, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Well, for starters, this echoes the prophecy that Peter quoted from Joel earlier in the chapter. You see, God had promised to do this long before it happened. And these miracles that were accompanying the message of the disciples affirmed the life and ministry of Jesus, the leaders he left in his place, and the new community that he was currently creating through them. Moreover, this is what's called a divine passive. I mean, look at it. It says, many wonders and signs were being done, but who was doing them? It was through the apostles, but who was it by? It was by God. God was at work. The mighty works of Jesus were still being done by him through his apostles. Another one of my profs, Dr. Bach noted this. He said, this replicates the pattern of both deed and word that Luke's gospel also used to describe Jesus' activity. He's saying, Jesus had a word and deed ministry where he taught and did where he spoke and acted. And he's saying the apostles had the same ministry. The fact that this was occurring through the leaders is both a theme in Acts and all throughout the scriptures. Anytime you have a leader who's appointed by God, he's doing something, he's giving signs to the surrounding people to support and prove that he's called those leaders. Now this is where the awe came from, where that reverent wonder, that fear of God In the community, that's where it was coming from. Luke said, awe came upon every soul. Now, this could be referring to those who were inside the believing community, but it could also be about the people who were outside of it. Uh, I have a quote that's not that important. It's just someone saying, uh, someone who wrote a commentary saying, it could be this or that. And I just wanna say this. They tell you, you shouldn't say, I don't know from the stage, but look at me. I don't know. I don't know if this is talking about the Christians or the non-Christians. Or both or I, I don't know. But it's, it's really ultimately not the point who was experiencing the awe. The point is the awe happening. It came from this awareness that Jesus was still at work in their midst, that the spirit of God was present with them, that God was in their midst. He was around them, among them, in them, working through them, and he was authenticating the authority of the leaders. That's the third aspect of the apostles' teaching. It's their authority. Listen, their teaching wasn't the extent of their authoritative role. No, they were in leadership positions. They held offices to which the people of God were submitting. This is further reflected later on in the book when the believers start to bring the proceeds of their sales to the feet of the apostles in chapter four. And then in chapter six, they start bringing their their problems to the apostles. This is the problem with being a leader, right? People look at you like, hey, I need you to handle this. And it's like, Man, I ain't signed up for all this. That's what the apostle said. But you know they handled it. They handled the problem. We'll get there later. But this idea of submission to leadership isn't super popular in our culture right now, is it? Largely for good reason. It's it's pretty understandable because some leaders have failed miserably. They've abused their positions and their people. Struggling with that isn't what I'm trying to address here. Okay, there's a commonly held sentiment that getting together with friends to study the Bible is sufficient for church or I can follow Jesus on my own. I don't need to get involved with that like structured organizational church thing. But here's the issue with that. An apostolic church that follows the tradition of the apostles, that the tradition that Jesus taught them to set up, it consists of leaders to which we as the people of God humbly submit. And those leaders humbly and prayerfully shepherd and lead in holiness. When some leaders aren't doing that well, it doesn't ruin the system. It doesn't ruin the structure that Jesus gave us. It says that Jesus is outing the ones who aren't doing it well. Jesus is bringing to light what was done in the dark. You can get that from him if you wanna go back and read it but we have the responsibility of covenanting together to fulfill the commands of scripture both with and for one another, which introduces the second of the four communal disciplines, the fellowship. This word was widely used in the culture. It was was common to communicate connection, whether that was in close-knit community or in a marriage. It's about relationship. It's about closeness. It's about intimacy, And these new disciples were devoted to one another, not just the rhythms that they had. Did you catch, not just the activities, to one another, all right? And the verbs in the passage are all plural, which supports that. And the words that accompany those verbs, like all, together, common, they prove that point as well. The point is that it's togetherness, which is why (laughs) Dr. Tony Evans went in in his commentary. This is what he said. A disconnected Christian is a disobedient and unfaithful Christian. (laughs) God, dude, does that not hit somebody in the chest somewhere where you're like, oh, I need to just change, dude. I just need to change something. Oh, a disconnected Christian is a disobedient and unfruitful Christian. That's tough. But let's look uh, in verses 44 and 45 at what this looked like. Luke wrote, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Remember, the verbs convey that this was ongoing. It didn't stop. It wasn't just a one-time occurrence. When a need arose in the community, the community handled it. Can you imagine deciding to follow Jesus in that context? And all of a sudden, your family rejects you. Your job gets rid of you. Your grocers won't even deal with you anymore. Like you can't even barter and trade. So where are you gonna feed your family from? There, there was surely needs that came up because of deciding to follow Jesus. But they had responsible siblings who were ready to both sell their property and their possessions to help. But we can't, we can't get caught up in that and forget this. Their material generosity overflowed from their relational intimacy. Their physical proximity and their emotional vulnerability overflowed producing opportunity for tangible charity. As the example of Jesus and the empowerment of the spirit compelled them to share their internal lives in common, the sacrifice of Jesus and the conviction of the spirit then moved them to meet external needs in their community. They understood need in the community communally. Like they took responsibility, actual responsibility for one another. Like your bills are my bills. Your debt is my debt. I know I'm, that's maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Let me, let me just move a little bit more. I'll, exp, I'll talk about that. But this way of thinking, nullifying the needs in the community was a means of proclamation for them it proved the reality of Jesus's life and his teachings. And it proved that he was continuing to work through those who believe. And then as the church grew, like I mentioned, they started giving this to the apostles to be distributed beyond, you know, uh, people wanted to be generous beyond what was happening among them personally. And so some people use that to advocate for governmental policies, And listen, you can definitely make a case for that using this passage, though the Old Testament might offer you a little bit more support. The point here, though, isn't legislation. Now, this passage does reflect the type of community that God desires. So, like I said, you can make a case. But the important thing here is assessing yourself and your community. Like, is this true of you? Is this true of us? Do we have a people over stuff Mentality. If not, something needs to change. Now, I mentioned that this might be a little bit uncomfortable. Dr. Willie James Jennings argued that this reality that it, that's in the text is more unnerving than any policy that might reflect some sort of governmental system that you disagree with or are uncomfortable with. He said, what's far more dangerous than any plan of shared wealth or fair distribution of goods and services is a God who dares impose on us divine love such love will not play fair. In the moment we think something is ours or our people's, that same God will demand we sell it, give it away, or offer more of it in order to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, or shelter the homeless, using it to create the bonds of shared life. Coldest thing I read all week though, a guy named Demetrius Williams, in True to Our Native Land, brilliantly discerned this. He said, it's striking that in the gospel of Luke, the poor are a constant theme, but in Acts, the word poor doesn't even appear. Luke operates with a prophecy fulfillment scheme. And for him, the promise of Deuteronomy is being fulfilled in the early church. Oh, my God, that is cold. That's like, that was my favorite thing. I get chills every time I think about it. But God was fulfilling Deuteronomy 15 and what he wanted Israel to be, what he's always wanted to, his people to be, what he expects of his people was being fulfilled in this new spirit-filled community. Let me get back to the passage. Let me read the rest of it and then we'll knock out the last two communal disciplines. Luke wrote in verse 46, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's first address that breaking of bread. Notice very simply, they're filling one another's homes. They're eating together. They're filled with gladness and generosity as they gave to and received from one another. They were continually celebrating God's faithfulness together by sharing meals. Craig Keener, he writes about cultural background all the time. He said table fellowship denoted intimacy and trust, which further supports this idea that their, uh, their intimacy fueled their generosity to each other. And some have argued that this term is only referring to communion or like the Lord's Supper, right? And though there's precedent for this, at the meals that they would be sharing, that's something that they would do during the meals. So it can't just mean that, all right? And lastly, the prayers, the last of the communal disciplines. Some translations make this singular. It sounds something like devoting themselves to prayer, which is something that you can do, but it, it breaks from that grammatical pattern that I, that I told you earlier, which can potentially kind of mess with the meaning. See, their prayers were well known among early Christians. They were practicing both routine and random times of prayer, both scheduled and spontaneous. If you look at the first verse of the next chapter, it says Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This was one of three scheduled times for Jewish prayer at the temple. And the way that it's translated helps to make sense of that. And this is something that would have been based on Exodus 29, the times of the sacrifices. There was morning prayer, midday prayer, and evening prayer, much like when Revive had three times. Too early to go, your lunch break, and I'm going to sleep, so I don't know, right? But you got to be devoted. You got to be devoted. All right, I'm going to come back to Revive in a minute. Pastor Jerry shook his head. So I just want everybody to know at home, Pastor Jerry was like, this dude. <laughs> that just Anyways, all right. Something interesting is the word for attending in verse 46, where it's talking about going to the temple together. It's the same word as devoting back in verse 42. It's stressing the degree to which they were committed to these practical expressions of common life. All right. All right as was true of their Jewish festivals and feasts, when they would get together to eat, they would pray together. They would present their needs to one another and they would seek the Lord on each other's behalf together. So regardless of who was experiencing the awe that I mentioned earlier, the text makes it clear that because of everything that's going on in this community, they had great relationships with those who were outside of it. The believers had great relationships relationships with those who were outside the community due to the fact that the message that they were proclaiming had an impact in every facet of their lives. Like there was no dark closet in which the light of Christ didn't shine, right? There was no inch of their lives over which Jesus wasn't ruling and reigning. He was king in their lives. Granted, persecution came later, that's for sure, but it wasn't because of their lives. It was because their message was offensive. What they were believing and what they were proclaiming offended others. Their lives, though, they were favorable. They were a blessing. And their communal disciplines impacted their community. Now, this happened on the heels of, of Pentecost, that festival, where a bunch of people come in and so You know, to some extent, it's it's an unsustainable reality because at some point, people have to go back home where they'd come from. Sooner or later, someone's gonna get their feelings hurt, chapter six, and there's eventually gonna be a need for some church discipline. And so though the communal disciplines might change their location or gain some more practices, the core of what's happening remains because devotion is expressed through and anchored by disciplines. In the same way that Britt and I reached a, a point, a circumstance, a, a season that required us uh, to get some new disciplines to develop our devotion, man, connection to community requires the same thing. It requires you to come up with creative ways to cultivate your commitment. New circumstances don't kill Devotion. New circumstances, they can't. They cannot kill your devotion to communal disciplines. Why? Because devoted disciples practice communal disciplines regardless. But you might be wondering about the pandemic, right? Like, Ryan, I, I can't do all the things that you just described. Like how I'm supposed to gather when I can't come to the gathering? How can I break bread when I can't sit at somebody's table? So what do you really expecting of us. And listen, different strokes for different folks, different people are are handling different protocols. I get that. But on the whole, you may be wondering what I'm suggesting this looks like for us in this season. Here's my point. Devoted disciples practice communal disciplines. You know who doesn't? Diseased disciples. Why? Because diseased disciples neglect communal disciplines diseased disciples neglect communal disciplines that's my second point i know what you might be thinking what it was like curveball like that doesn't even make sense and i know it might feel weird but track with me for just a second hear me out we're in a pandemic right and covid is a viral disease presenting us with a new circumstance and a new season right but diseases have a host of causes infectious diseases are just one of the four major categories, there's deficiency diseases, hereditary diseases, physiological diseases. I know that uh, Bianca Mobley's at home like, yes, yes, I can hear her now. Uh, Not every disease, the point being is that not every disease is generated outside of you. And the words of Pastor Jerry, here's the truth. Catching a virus that's outside of you doesn't hinder devotion that's inside of you. Some of us have used the pandemic to mask a deeper issue. Neglecting communal disciplines. My wife laughed at me. I'm like, that wasn't cheesy. That was cold. Dang, she hurt my feelings. I'm just playing. COVID is simply a circumstance for creative connection points. FC Dallas used to have a coach who would say, busca la forma, find the way. I'm trying to get like Jorge out here, speaking more Spanish, all right? That's what devotion does. And if you aren't displaying devotion through your communal disciplines, there may be a deeper issue. If you aren't a devoted disciple, you might be a diseased disciple. And I made a short list of diseases. Look, this is cheesy, I know. I'm gonna live all the way into it though. So here's what I've noticed or here's what some people said on IG earlier this week. If you aren't a devoted disciple, you might be a distracted disciple, suffering from the focused on other things disease. Now you've probably already heard or you already know that screen time is a threat that many of us need to be aware of. The numbers are staggering. We spend on average like three and a half hours per day on our phones. And how much of this contributes to devotion to communal disciplines? That doesn't even include movies, sports, Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus, I know I got a lot of people out here who be on that Disney Plus, I'm just saying. Look, the, the list is, is unending when it comes to subscriptions and I'm not saying that you shouldn't, st- uh, you shouldn't stream or have a smartphone, okay? I just wanna use this as a litmus test. If we have time to stream every new show and scroll every timeline in order to keep up with everyone on socials, but we can't make life group, that might be an issue, Like I said, I'm just trying to get in somebody's pocket, okay? If you think that hurts, get this. I've noticed that we're in a culture that craves screens all the way up until it involves our communal disciplines. I wanna stream, I wanna watch sports, I wanna do these things, I wanna be on my phone, but I hate Zoom, I'm so tired of Zoom, I can't do Zoom. I hate Zoom. Sorry to scream at y'all. I hope that didn't bust somebody's ears. I hate Zoom. I despise the streamed gathering. Do you hear me? I hate this season. It's exhausting for me too. But devoted disciples practice communal disciplines. It's what we do. Don't let screens keep you from communal disciplines because, well, I just want to deal with that a little bit more later. So let's move on to the next one. If you aren't a devoted disciple, you might be a detached disciple suffering from the all by myself disease, all by myself. This individual either intentionally avoids or is severely unaware that they're not around their community. This isn't about an extroverted, introverted thing either. Like it's it's just not because at the end of the day, we all need a safe space to be vulnerable so that people can counsel and shepherd the deepest parts of us. And I'm just, I'm just sad that so many people don't experience this. And I'm glad that we have a, like a rush of counseling. Like community will not ever supplant counseling. It cannot replace it. But some of us don't really need counseling. We need community. I'm just, I'm, I just gotta be frank with you. Look, if your insurance pays for it, do it, all right? But don't go to counseling and not community. I'm not even, I'm so pro-counseling, I'm trying to send my wife to school. So don't, don't come at me with that, please, okay? Look, here's another thing. We all have people that we came up with, we went to college with, people that were in our weddings. I'm not trying to say that we all become best friends. That's not the point. I'm saying Jesus made us family and the spirit is at work in us for us to act like it. If you're leaning on others, outside and you're neglecting your local community, you're off the mark. If you're being transparent and not vulnerable, you're missing it. And I'll give you more on that in a little bit. And if you aren't consistent, then what you're doing is you're hindering yourself and the group from experiencing the blessings of devoting to communal disciplines. Your decisions are impacting other people in your community. Consider that. If you aren't a devoted disciple, you might be a depleted disciple suffering from the burnt out or fatigued disease. I see so much of this. Some of it is probably in this room right now because some of y'all are here every week. It's not bad, okay, just hear me out. As a pastor and a leader, this kills me. This kills me. Because I tell teams that I lead that I wanna create a fun, fulfilling, and sustainable place for them to serve I want people to enjoy joining God and his mission through serving. Sure, there will be times where responsibility adds stress and subtracts time, but that's just the cost of being a part of the ministry of multiplication. That's different than being overworked and underappreciated, overtired and under-shepherded. This disease can be self-inflicted And it can also be caused by others. That's why this includes those who have experienced abusive and unhealthy leaders, being hurt by the church for sin or unhealth, or going through and processing mental health issues. Look, that's real. Remember though, a little bit of devotion to communal disciplines goes a very long way. Letting people into those spaces is hard, but it's worth it. Take small steps, and lastly, if you aren't a devoted disciple, you might be a disobedient disciple who's simply not heeding the commands of Jesus. Maybe none of these other diseases fits you, uh, but this one, luckily, is a one-size-fits-all because devotion to Jesus is expressed through commitment to his body, your devotion to communal disciplines, and the Spirit makes this happen in us, so devoted disciples practice communal discipline. All right, so refusing to participate in community, whatever your reasoning is something worth investigating and hopefully you aren't doing that by yourself. To repeat Dr. Tony Evans, a disconnected Christian is a disobedient and unfaithful, unfruitful Christian. Now the majority of these are are self-inflicted. It's like self-sabotage in some ways, but they're not identity level issues. It can just be about character development. It's about growing. And if you're in Jesus, there's no such thing as being too far gone. Jesus isn't done with you. He promises to finish what he started. And so I wanna get back to our original question so I can get out your hair. How do I cultivate rather than kill my devotion to community? How do I overcome negligence, passivity, or my disease of choice? What do I do? This might sound a little bit circular, but this is my solution for you. Devote yourself to, to communal disciplines. Devote yourself to communal disciplines. At the end of the day, there's just no other way. You've just got to do it, you've just got to start. Devotion to Jesus leads to devotion to communal disciplines. I've already belabored that point. And devotion is expressed through and anchored by disciplines. So communal disciplines are beneficial for your devotion to Jesus and his people. So just start. It's not about a feeling. You're not gonna feel like it. You're just going to dedicate, to commit, to put your drive into action. So let's walk back through the the disciplines. Devote yourself to the communal discipline of the apostles' teaching. Prioritize the gathering, even with the stream, All right, make it a point to participate every week. If you have to, study the passage ahead of time so that when we're walking through the scriptures together, you can anticipate it. You can see if what you found and what the person preaching found, like if y'all kind of align, you know, it can help with life group, it can help with this. And if you just absolutely abhor, if you loathe the stream, as soon as we're inviting people to participate in the gathering again, go through the registration process and be here. It's most likely as safe here as it is anywhere else. And if you can't wait until then, guess what? You can hit Hori up and you can serve whenever you're ready. The other thing here is prioritizing what our leaders are asking of you, what's expected of us as a community. It's being an apostolic church who submits to leaders that God has put into place. And covenanting with Disciple City is a mutually beneficial relationship. We covenant to one another, anticipating that we will both give and receive. And if you have issues with that, something that's hindering you, express it. If you have desires that aren't being met, make them known so that you can be known. Speaking of being known, devote yourself to the communal discipline of the fellowship. Here, I want to emphasize life group and giving, okay? I'm not asking you to participate in your life group every week. I'm asking you to buy into your life group. Do you notice the distinction? It's not just the right action. It's the right attitude. Actually live life together. Spend time with people from life group outside of the marked out time. Have fun together because fun is the fast lane to trust and then use that trust to launch you into more vulnerable waters. Practice vulnerability, shepherd one another, and cultivate closeness. Don't let individualism infiltrate you, causing you to think only about your job, your friends, your hobbies, your brain capacity, your time, your health, your family. You get the idea. Follow Jesus in considering others more significant than yourself. Because we say we aren't like a family, We are a family, and that's positionally true. We're God's kids, and that makes us siblings. However, the fellowship described in the passage cannot happen passively. They were devoted to vulnerability, to intimacy, to relational and emotional proximity. Are you experiencing shallow social interactions instead of deep interdependence? If so there might be a devotion issue on your hands. And you can have deep connection if you don't show up. Show up. Look, you can ask all the folks out here who long distance dated, shouts out to you, Aaron and Erica on the engagement. You can cultivate intimacy without being in person. Screens can work for you more than just streaming and socials, okay? Okay. Carve out the space for your life group gatherings and create more space for deep connection. I'll get back to that in just a second, but forgiving. Are we marked by generosity and sacrifice or just consumerism and entertainment? I'll say this our church recently furnished an entire apartment uh, for a family in our church, so I don't think we have a generosity problem, but we might have a vulnerability problem. Hear me out on this one. Here's what I know what's true about us, my generation specifically. We will be transparent, but we will not be vulnerable, okay? We'll let people know the hard things that are going on in our lives in one of two ways, either when we're using it to get into or out of something or after the struggle's over. See, that's transparency. Sure, it's, it's letting people see a little bit more deeply into our lives, But vulnerability is more than letting people see. It's letting people in. Rather than inviting someone to come to the front porch and kind of look through the front windows, you unlock the door, you let them inside, you allow them to join you in the struggle, and you even let them give input into what's going on. And we can't express generosity if we don't practice vulnerability, The passage says, as any had need. So those who were in need had to vocalize the need that they were experiencing. But this is something that individualism kills in our culture because people who are in need have fear of sharing and shame that they actually have need. And the people who are hearing it are over here like, man, do they even know how to budget? Can they manage money? As if like money just grows on trees and people just be having endless amounts. But I'm off that. What if instead we thought communally? Man, I wish we could know the percentage of our people who are in debt. Credit card debt, school debt, car debt, because the other one died, so I had to get a new one and I didn't have enough money to get it, so I got to pay this off every month. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about, I just have every subscription and I pay like $900 for cable. I'm talking like, yo, I got debt. What would it look like if for us, we were paying one another's debt? Like, what if I saw your debt as my debt? What if we as a community did that and we came after it together? What if the bills that the McGee's are about to have for having a baby was something that we viewed as as our responsibility? Do y'all know how much it costs to have a baby out here in these streets, man? It is ridiculous, man. And what if all it took was canceling a a subscription or two or a little bit of self-control that could contribute then to the financial freedom of our faith community, of our family? That'd be dope. And I bet you our church would grow. I'm just saying, because who doesn't want, who don't want to be out of debt? Am I right? Raise your hand. Okay, all right, moving on. Devote yourself to the communal discipline of the breaking of bread. And I'm about to land this plane. Look, we can still share meals in this season. I'm about to come back up here and tell you about Nourish. Married folks, you can hit Nourish up and y'all can have a little date together. You can eat outside together. You can get creative Like, what if you decided to quarantine for like 10 days or whatever it takes in order to spend a weekend together with someone from your community? Or what if you considered having a bubble with a family unit or two around you so that y'all could cultivate connection around a table in this season? Listen, some people go out. If that's what you're comfortable with, that's what you do, do that. Just, you know, consider not sharing COVID with people like me, all right? My baby, I don't wanna do it. He'll be fine, I bet, but I won't, okay? I don't like my baby being sick. But you can find others in your life group who are also practicing the same things you are and y'all could spend that time together. Y'all could go have a coffee, have a meal together. Lastly, devote yourself to the communal discipline of the prayers. I mentioned Revive on Wednesdays at 6, I almost said PM, it's not PM, it is AM. It's popping. I've only been once because me and 6 AM don't get along very well. But the one time that I went because of my son, he was with me, I cried. He cried, I cried, we was all crying. But what if the demand for Revive was so high, like the bandwidth at 6 a.m. couldn't, couldn't stand all of us? And so we had to create more times. What if you had people, like 20 people who were like, hey, you give us a noon time and we'll be in that thing. I'll lead it, I'll facilitate it, I'll whatever. I wanna show up, I wanna pray with my community. How can our life groups create rhythms to pray with and for each other in rhythmic and random ways? And for you, Like, are you making decisions for your life and community? Like swim upstream of individualism and open yourself up for prayer and for wisdom from your community. That's part of how Brittany and I fought for our marriage. We let people in, we didn't do it alone. We had mentors who were speaking into us. We had community around us and we trusted the spirit who was inside of us. We have some disciplines now that help us to express and anchor our devotion. We're obviously still married, and so we definitely survived me being in school among the host of other things, including this season. She said, praise Jesus, and I say the same. We've learned to communicate in different seasons, to fight well in different seasons, to spend time together in different seasons, to manage our house and our money, among all the rest of the things that we figured out. And our devotion to each other has helped us overcome any obstacle, any circumstance, any season. And the same is true of our devotion to communal disciplines. You can do this. Devoted disciples practice communal disciplines. So devote yourself to communal disciplines. Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, shalom.